Hello, welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast. I am Jordan Tyler Coltman. I'm joined by Tyler Walzak. Tyler, it's like we're doing this now weekly. We're in the part of the season where this stuff just gets all bump, 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 back to back to back to back. And the best part about these last couple weekends, at least from my perspective, is that when we come into the Western Hemisphere, it's very, very enjoyable to watch racing at like a respectable time as opposed to fighting to like find a time to watch on the PVR. Now, I know you are a PVR uh, preferred viewer of Formula One because you have Sunday heavy content. Uh, yes, Sunday I, I is all that. football, so I it's tough that. to it's tough but to he, watch because I like to listen too. Yeah, yeah, of course you want it. Yeah, yeah you yeah. don't want it on the third television because you've yeah. got like seven or eight TVs. So, yeah. um, what I wanted to talk to you about before we actually get to this race because there's lots to talk about when it comes to the Mexican City Grand Prix. Uh, is it the Mexican City Grand Prix actually, or the Mexican, Mexican Grand Prix? Because here's what's the funny: Mexican Jensen Button in Mexico City, but in Jensen City. Button referred to it multiple times as the Mexican City Grand Prix, and I thought maybe I was wrong. I think he's just wrong. It I, everything I see in front of me right yeah, now, yeah, he's as Mexico. He doesn't know Grand what he's Prix. talking about. Jensen Button doesn't know what he's talking about. There you no. go. Okay, okay. <laughs> but okay. I did know. I learned something not race affiliated, but during the race watching this. Did you know Mexico City sinks 12 centimeters every year? No, I did not know that. It's That's built terrifying. on a lake and it sinks 12 centimeters every year. I saw they brought that stat up on like lap 15. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, why aren't we? Let's talk about that for like 20 more laps. Like, that's insane to me. Because <laughs> well, there's nothing else going on. What? So wait, like how far has it sunk since they started to track this? Oh, I've done zero research past okay, that. Okay, but it was okay. the city itself was built on a lake. Yeah, right. So it sinks twelve centimeters every per year. When you say built on a lake, like like it's like the yeah, what's underneath asking. it used to be a lake. I'm guessing what under what is underneath of it used to be a lake. And so it's, it's a bit like Venice, because like, like Venice is sinking, right? Like, but like yeah. underwater sinking. This is different. This is like sinking into the ground. Yeah. Well, they've this got like what two kilometers or something till they get to sea level. So they're good for a while. Okay, good. Hopefully that, that that doesn't happen for a while. You know, it makes me think of something else completely unrelated. I'm sure the people who have tuned into this podcast hoping to get right to it are like, what the hell, guys? But that's okay. You you know, if you're listening on most <laughs> podcast apps, you can click forward by about 30 seconds at a time. So just start clicking forward. We'll eventually get to Formula One. But there's press a your couple red button side button on your Press your red Sorry. button on your press sky your control. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Did you know that the moon is drifting away from the Earth by 3.8? Well, I saw it the other day. I know this is totally, but Saturday night after qualifying, I went for a walk. I watched qualifying live. You we watched the about moon this drift here. away? <laughs> you know, I watched, well, I saw it and I was like, well, something's wrong with that moon. I looked at it and I'm like, that's not the moon I grew up with. That's a different moon. It looks bigger, but I guess it's going further away. The other way, man. It's drifting 3.6 centimeters per year. 3.6. So that's uh, that every, so three times slower than mexico's sinking right but if you think about it mexico is drifting opposite. further away from the moon than the rest yeah. of us so three times faster than the rest Whoa, of us pretty crazy pretty crazy okay let's get to actually so <laughs> talking about racing yeah yeah but see th these weren't even the sidebars i wanted to have there was a completely separate <laughs> sidebar i wanted to have but that i'm just gonna let that lie now um no, I actually am not. I'm going to go back to it because now I remember what it was and it was actually really good. So here's the thing I was saying. I love when we get these races that are at really like convenient times for us because they don't come very often. Most of the European circuit is like six o'clock in the morning. And I do enjoy watching at least the Grand Prix live. I have no problem watching uh, qualifying PVR and most weekends I end up doing that anyway. But I do like when I can, I like to watch the race live just because I don't know. There's something about it. It's like all sports. It's like you don't really want to watch sports on tape delay if yeah. you don't have to. I get it when there's a whole bunch of things on. But I've been enjoying the backlash online from the European fans, specifically the English fans, about Vegas. Because Vegas is going to be a night race, but yeah. in the Western Hemisphere. So it's going to air in England at like 5 a.m. And they're all like, how can you do this to us? This is the inappropriate time to watch Formula One. And all of us in North America are like, yep, get with it. We've all been watching these at 6 a.m. for the last couple of years. This is what we're used yep. to now. That's the flaw in your sport growing into a North American um, viewership is that it's going to start. There's three races in, in the States alone. Like I know. And yes, the daytime ones air at like prime time for them. So it's fine. Yeah. But that's, you know, anyway, anyway, I just, I just like to, I like to poke the hip, hypocrites and all of the people who don't, you know, they, Oh, it's so tough for you. Well, it was so yeah. tough for a local boy. Uh, where do you want to start, though? Because we can't probably jump right to the race. But but boy, oh, boy, like you got a feel for the guy. Yeah, I mean, we can talk. Let's go back into qualifying after. But I mean, 
apparently people also left the stands after oh, yeah. he was out. They were furious. Yeah. Apparently, like he is the it isn't Formula One that's the draw. He is the draw no, for him. a lot of people. Yeah. Checo there was Barrow's... multiple times where Crafty um mentioned he's just like for the people that did stay, for the people that did stick around, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, seeing yeah. good racing. Like, how many people left? Like yeah. it looked at the end, like like the fans actually did find kind of like the main grandstand to see um the podium winners, but yeah. I couldn't, I kept looking to see what was bare and what wasn't bare. I couldn't tell it was going too fast and I was too invested in the actual racing, but um, I was shocked by that. Yeah. I get it. I mean, it's frustrating, but also like that was on Perez, right? Oh, a hundred percent, man. hundred yeah. um, percent. Let's go. As you say, let's, let's not get out of order too far, but I, I mean, it's just, that's gotta be the biggest story, but let's jump to um, qualifying. Let's start with qualifying, obviously coming into this race, um, having just come out of a race that had disqualifications in it, there's obviously a lot of like expectations on some of these teams to have, uh, you know, continue the, the improvements they've had one team that took a huge step back in qualifying, but even before that, even in, 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 final practice was McLaren. It was very clear and very evident very quickly. Something just wasn't quite clicking the way it has the last couple of weeks. We've been talking a lot about the resurgence of McLaren, how fantastic it's been to have a third team up there competing to try to catch Red Bull. You've got the Ferraris have been there kind of all year lingering. Mercedes has obviously gotten better. And now you got a very competitive McLaren and multiple podiums in the last couple of weeks for them, including, you know, uh, Piastri winning the sprint a couple of weeks back. But all of a sudden, they just there was nothing there, especially for Lando. A, a, an absolutely abysmal qualifying for Lando Norris doesn't make it out of Q one, right? I think he started seventeenth. Yeah, he started seventeenth. That was the shock of uh, for me. There's two storylines about qualifying on Saturday, um, and they're they're frustrating to me. The one with Lando Norris is obviously like you want to see McLaren do well as the underdog um, in the midfield. Really, like you have. You're, we know Red Bull has the capability to have both cars up there, even though Perez is underperforming. Um, and then you have Mercedes and Ferrari that are supposed to be up there all year. So McLaren being the underdog, like you want to see them kind of mix it up with those guys. But other than that, Verstappen, Russell, stationary in the pit exit, going to be investigated after the session. Hamilton, not slowing down in a yellow, investigated after the session. Sargent, passing during a yellow, investigated after the session. Norris, Russell, Zhao, too slow on an outlap, investigated after the session. I This finished at 2 p.m., 2.30 p.m. on Saturday for us. I was every hour on the hour Googling to figure out what the hell the lineup, the grid lineup was going to be to start the race. And it got to a point where I went out for Halloween Saturday night. I didn't know until I watched the race and actually saw the starting lineup where there was no penalties except for Sergeant and Sunata. Um, yeah, no Russell, no Verstappen. There was, and like, in fact, it, it actual, was so frustrating to have the to... actual ruling. The actual ruling yeah. didn't come out till after the Grand Prix. And then it came out basically saying no penalties being assessed, nothing going on, not even fines. And so, yeah, it was, it was frustrating. It was shocking. It was confusing, but it's so typical again of what we've seen this season where like the FIA has got to get their evaluation of these um, potential infringements process cleaned up because you cannot have a sport that drags out these results to this extent. We obviously it's had, bad. we had like post-race um, testing done on cars last week, which led to the, sort of last minute and almost under the radar disqualification things. That's different. I get that because that takes the time it takes. But when it's actual inf like infractions on a session that impact the results of that session, you kind of have to, it, it, it's a bit like in hockey. It's like, I get the supplemental discipline that comes later, but you can't affect the outcome of that game. The game was played or whatever it was here. The outcome is incredibly important because you're dealing with literally where teams line up whether or not there's penalties that include their final positioning, all of those kind of things. And if you're dealing with all of that stuff so slowly, it just, as, as you said, like you, it, it kind of drags the viewer into this pattern of like never really being able to, I don't know, like commit to well, co at that point. What's what the point? Seen. Yeah. What's the point of watching if it's going to change three hours after qualifying? Why yeah. sit there? Why enjoy the product? If you know that, there is something that they're already talking about. And I'm just going to go into the race as an example, because there was two infringements before the race even started. Um, and they announced on lap 19 of 71, we had 71 laps this race. On lap 19, they announced that Leclerc is going to be investigated after the race for unsafe driving because of his damage on the front wing. Why are you waiting until after the race? There is an hour on lap 19. There is an hour and a half left in this race. 
you can't figure that shit out before the end of the race. Yeah. That's insane to me. Like that is a, it's also a very cut and dry black and orange flag. Throw it right away. Everybody knew it. I'm pretty sure that you probably said black and orange. He's got to go pit. He's got to go pit. I said it. It was, it was just so corrupt is the word I want to use for them to say, we'll, we'll talk about it after the race because then you actually get to decide what happened. Like, I don't know how sports gambling does, allows F1 to do this because they could literally look at the books and be like, actually, if you put Leclerc down five spots, then the books and F1 are going to get more money. So you should do that. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me Hang at on. all. Are you suggesting that decisions sometimes are made in the steward's office based on something other than the integrity of the actual sport? Are you telling me that that is possible in a sport like Formula One, that that someone who has decision-making power about how something regarding the actual organization of the race could possibly manipulate the outcome? Are you saying that, Tyler? It, it feels to me like they are going to get blown up with some type of like um, investigation like, like um, FIFA did. Like, it's just, it's too... It's just wait, like it's they're begging for it to happen. But you had an hour and a half. Them. Who's going to investigate? Hour and a half. The governing body is is the FIA, who is as complicit in who, all of it as who Formula investigated is. FIFA? Who investigated FIFA? I have no idea. I assume I don't know the Olympics. Of- I don't know who the fuck will do it. The Olympics will do it. The Olympics will say they're cheating. It's no Formula One in the they're Olympics. Cheating. But then also, so Alonso um, was driving too fast on his. Uh, reconnaissance lap, reconnaissance lap is that what they call it? Before they get to the, like, yeah. yeah, the one they have to go around to get to the grid before they do the um, uh, before the race starts, basically. Uh, and then prosecutors, the United States federal prosecutors investigated FIFA. Okay, well, then they're probably gonna do the same thing with Formula One at some point because it's honestly, it is like the European Union. I don't think they'll get their shit together. How can you choose after the race when you have an hour and a half? I I agree with you, somebody, I agree with you. And then, so Alonzo on the lap before you do, like before you get in the grid, they put the tire um, um, bags back on and blankets back on and everything like that. Um, so he was driving too fast. Did you hear what the fine was for him? It wasn't a no. penalty at all in the race. It was a hundred euros. That's it. <laughs> yes. Jesus, they that's not even euros. enough money to like fill that's a like tank of gas. A hundred euros. That's a hundred and sixty US dollars. That is seven hundred and sixty-one Chinese yuan. That it, That's yow, a yow, parking ticket. Eighty-seven pounds, fifteen thousand eight hundred twenty-six Japanese yen, or one hundred forty-six Canadian dollars. I'm pretty sure that uh, Alonso paid that off fine. with like a quarter of a lap. No kidding. For what he didn't pay is probably a quarter of a lap. One hundred forty-six Canadian off. dollars. That's yeah. like a nice meal. It's less than a speeding ticket in some That's of the insane. roads here in Vancouver. That's not even a slap on the wrist. That is literally like 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 a hundred euros on the shoulder. Like whoop whoop. Yeah. Brushed I would, off. if I was a driver, I'd try to beat it. Like, I'm going to go a little bit faster than he did <laughs> in Mexico to see if I can get a $200, uh, 200 euro fine. Oh my God. That is insane. How is That's that almost more of a joke. Anything? It's more of a joke than the Leclerc being investigated after. But anyway, so that goes, that goes back to like, we we're talking about qualifying. Like I hated you that. You sure it isn't a hundred thousand? You're a hundred. They said a hundred euros. <laughs> they said a hundred euros. They said it like five times. Wow. Okay, cool. I, I hope I'm wrong. I really because a hundred thousand makes way more sense. Uh, yeah, a hundred euros. You know what I hope? Because it would be so on brand for the FIA. It, I I really hope that they meant a hundred thousand, but someone like missed the decimal point, and it was like, oh shit, we just find them a hundred bucks. Yeah, it, well, we are talking to Brundle, and no, hundred euro hit with a hundred euro fine oh for God. breaching FIA rule. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, what a joke! Are you kidding me? There's not oh. even a single part of his car that costs that much. Like like nothing is that is the cheapest thing you can possibly do his gloves probably cost a hundred thousand dollars probably crazy crazy that's one of the strips on his visor yeah yeah exactly exactly (laughs) but anyways going back to qualifying you have to have this stuff figured out um ahead of time there should be a hard and fast rule it shouldn't take three or four hours or another day to figure out the penalties for qualifying infringements yeah, for sure. No, I completely agree. So those are obviously the two big storylines coming out of qualifying. Um, definitely the Norris one was a bit of a shocker, but it was interesting to see that, you know, we were going to end up with a very, oh, actually, 
we're completely missing one, Tyler, which is the fact that Ferrari came out of nowhere. They had a very bad weekend in yeah. practice and speed and like there's the, they just did not have the pace. And then all of a sudden they hooked up two of the fastest laps, the two fastest laps of qualifying and couldn't even match it on their second lap. So it was like two perfect laps for both of them. They take the front row. That's the biggest story coming out of qualifying. Um, but of course, we all know this is one of the longest straightaways to start a Grand Prix on the circuit. It always has drama at that first corner. Very rarely does the uh car on pole get around that first corner still intact and obviously that was still the case here um but yeah no that was definitely the story coming out of saturday was oh where did these ferraris come from and where did lando norris go well i wouldn't i wouldn't say that he was fully intact the pole leader leclerc did he he lost the upright of his left front uh right Wait. Well, let's talk about that then. Okay, so let's get to the Grand Prix then. So as you say, the f- first corner is was was where all the drama started. Obviously, yeah. three doesn't usually go into one. It just doesn't work uh, in Formula no. One, very rarely. And uh, I don't think there's any question about who was at fault in this situation. Perez found a, a line he thought would be a bit aggressive. Now, to be fair, had he stayed wide, he actually might have made the corner. 100%. But at the end of it, he just mis- either misjudged, miscalculated, or just was too aggressive. But he completely I don't think- turns into yeah, I don't think he. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I don't think he knew Verstappen was on the other side of Leclerc. Well, where did he think he was? I don't know. I don't know. He was just thinking about him and, and Leclerc at that moment because Why he turned Leclerc into Leclerc be that wide if he didn't have someone on the inside like that. Doesn't I, I don't. Know, I think he, Perez completely just misjudged the corner. I think he knew where right. Verstappen well, was did, for and sure. had hoped that Leclerc was going to break and pull out. I think that's what he was hoping for because he had a slight lead on him. Like he was ahead by a wheel length. And I think his hope was if I keep this tight line, I'll kind of squeeze him. Maybe he'll just back out of it. But Leclerc didn't really, I mean, Leclerc has no, you know, obligation to pull out of that situation. He has a clean racing line and he's, he didn't turn, you know, he, he stayed on his line and, and Perez then, you know, ran up the front tire and immediately broke the floor and it was pretty clear right away it was done even though they thought about trying to keep him in there and repairing yeah that would that probably would have just been a lap for wave your hand is that's all it was for and we've seen him do that if you remember he did that once earlier this year where they kept him in the car for like the 25th or 26th laps later and then put him out there whatever to try to get yeah so that i think was the first but like that car was just completely a mess and then it led to the ferrari part of it as you say where clearly damaged to the front wing flopping around and uh, yeah, they shook it off he shook it off and it caused a uh, a safety car Virtual and you know safety. who you know who should have been most frustrated by that kevin magnuson because multiple times this year he's had almost the exact same damage and every single time he's yeah. been orange and red or black and orange flagged for it every single time it, it was weird like i said earlier like you knew it i knew it crofty knew it Brundle knew it. Everybody was saying that he's going to get a penalty if he does not come and change his front wing. Ferrari was waiting for it to fall off so they could just keep racing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, my whole question, it, it goes back to Perez, is was this just Perez being overexcited about being in Mexico and all the rumors about how he's losing his spot at Red Bull and um, like he needs to have a good race in his home race? Yeah, I think um, pressure got some of that sure. favor back. He was so aggressive there that there's no other so, answer other than he was just like the adrenaline of it and the and the decision making was so poor. It doesn't yeah. make sense in a regular context. But again, you know what's frustrating to me is it's like it goes back to what I said last week. It's like why can't the bad things happen to the bad guys? I have that written down 45 times like why? Why Perez? Why, is why it couldn't him? why did it have to be Perez? Why is Verstappen get away clean? Why is it Perez? Why is it Perez? Why is it Perez? Always. And one more time I have, why is it Perez? Like, Always. Because this race, oh, man, imagine if this race didn't have Verstappen in it. It'd be great. Yeah, it would have been great. It'd be great. So let's move forward from there. Obviously, we we then get back to, to racing. As you say, there was well, a virtual what, safety car. And then I, it, I do have a – Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. I do want to cut you off because um, I want to know what happened to Ferrari at the start because both of them – did not get a good jump. Yeah, they bogged, They were bogged down. They just couldn't get high enough revs right off the top. They just, something wasn't in that engine, just does not have that kind of quick start. And we've seen that a couple of races. Last race, last week too, they had a bad start off of the line. Like they're just not, something's not quite right in the start procedure for that vehicle. And that's, but that's a huge flaw because a hundred percent, both of them won two and it going Mercedes into the first too, corner, like had it was them. Red Bull, Red Bull. Mercedes, Mercedes had them too there. Like L- Lewis had a better start. Both Red Bulls had a better start. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Um, 
we get to the safety car, obviously, or the virtual safety car, I should say. We are going to get to a safety car in a little bit here, but we get to the virtual safety car first. Um, and then it was interesting because this, not unlike um, the last race where we were talking about like tire strategy coming into play here, uh, it was pretty clear pretty early that a lot of teams were going to were gonna struggle to make a two-stop work like with the way the pit windows were going to line up. So everyone's trying to figure out how do I get on that hard tire at the right moment? And the interesting piece was we know that Mercedes was kicking themselves last race for waiting too long and the indecision of it. And in this situation, obviously the timing of the first pit stop was going to be so critical for them. They get the um, advantage of an actual safety car when we, or mm-hmm. pardon me, a red, or eventually a red flag, but first the safety car. Um, and that's when sort of the tire strategy came to it. I, my question for you is this, like, have we, have we even seen a race yet this season though, with like an actual puncture or like an actual failure? Cause we keep hearing about all of this tire, these conditions of these tires. There's lots of criticism about how they've like moved the compound numbers up or down from last year. And like, I'm no tire expert, but it feels like there's a lot of sort of like cautious decision-making being made. We even had like curbs being changed for the fear of like tire things. And yet we haven't seen failures. We haven't seen a whole bunch of guys like, you know, with tire problems. And maybe that is because they're being so cautious, but it feels like years past, like we had way more races where that was a variable. Go back four or five years ago. I want to say four years ago um, when there was, I think two or three cars, Hamilton being one of them in the lead, where his tire was almost Silverstone gone yeah, and it took full punctured and they had to limp around the race in the last lap. Like yeah, that's what even Verstappen, tire, even Verstappen like, that's what I'm thinking. two races or two years ago too. And they went in the, in the Lewis Max sort of like battle when they're in Azerbaijan, I think he had a tire failure. If you remember from the lead, right. Took him out. Like, but we just haven't had them. So I, anyway, no. it just made me think about it. Cause they're talking so much about tires, but I'm like, I don't, uh, either, as I say, like the cautious nature of how they're approaching it is working, I guess. But God, it's boring. It's like, let's just. Let's I know. Just, it's I, it, I'd all like, the talk. I'd like a just stop talking about it. If they just stop talking about it, then then we, we won't even be having this conversation. It's yeah. just that they bring it up before each race saying like, this is a concern. This is a concern. And that never is. I think I even brought it up when I did the preview of this race saying that high degradation on the back left tire. Um, but. You're right. We're not seeing we're not seeing the actual like dramatic event of the tire puncture issues. Um, but Ferrari didn't get away specifically too clean with the their pit stop strategy at the beginning. It was talked about for a while because Hamilton went for the undercut. Yeah. And then you thought everybody thought Ferrari would be coming in the lap after to just cut it off because they got fooled by it. Um, the race before Austin was where they were before, right? Um, and and they didn't do it. They stuck to their and all drivers agreed with it, which was, so I was at first um, talking about it. And I was like, like Bernie Collins mentioned it. She's like, I don't, I'm not sure why Ferrari's not coming to, to just like close off that undercut. Everybody said it, everybody said it, but then they went to Leclerc's radio and he's like, I agree with this plan. They went to science. He said, yes, that sounds good. Um, and it did, it ended up working out for them. Well, they didn't get did, totally, they like, got lucky with the red. That's what I mean. The red yeah. flag. And that's yeah. the big piece of it because the red flag coming in after a complete rear right axle failure for Magnuson, who we Scary. mentioned earlier, like very bad. Luckily for him, I think in some senses, it was at a corner where the wall was very close. So it wasn't like he had too far to go. Like, I mean, high speed, but yeah, we're in a corner. So at least he was braking at the time and he made contact with the wall pretty quickly. Um, so the car couldn't like flip or kind of do anything else to to cause any potential injury or anything. But yeah, definitely. A, and immediately they knew it was failure. It wasn't like a, a driving error. Yeah. But it led to the techno, the techmo, whatever the word is, techmo, I think it is, barrier to have to be repaired. So we got to the red flag. And of course, the only really upset driver with any of that, as always, is whiny Max Verstappen. Who immediately on the radio is like, why are we going red flag? We could have just kept racing. It's, I've seen worse than this. And it's like, just shut up. Just stop. Yeah, just, just like, stop. what's the, like, why? Like, that's one just of those stop. things where it's like, why are you even talking, Max? Like, you're going to win the race either way. Yeah. Just keep your mouth shut. Like, just enjoy it. All you have to say is, is Magnuson okay? Is Magnuson okay? Just like yeah. Hamilton did. Hamilton said, how are the tires? Why are we using these tires? They said the, I don't know what the response was to him, but he said, okay, fine, whatever. Is Magnuson okay? And they yeah. said, yes, he's out of the car. Like, 
Yeah. That's as a driver at that point, if there's a red flag on, on like a shunt like that, which was probably the biggest one of the year, I would say that was probably the biggest one of the year. Can't yeah, think of I think that there was a there was a there was a Lance Stroll one in qualifying that was pretty big. Obviously, the one with Ricardo and qualifying was big enough to break his hand. But yeah, it, race condition wise, probably. One yeah, of the race condition for sure. For sure. First um, red flag so, I can think of. I, I mean, maybe there was one earlier in the year, but I can't think of it. So even if even if it wasn't the like biggest like accident that first happened seen, how do you, how does he know that Magnuson's not just stuck in the True. like the box like hurt? Yeah, true. How like so? Why say that? Yeah. So the red flag comes up. Obviously, not a long delay, which was nice, but yes. enough for the drivers to sort of get themselves out of the cars and sort of reorganized. We get some teams that are able to change tires and get that sort of pit strategy back on track. And of course, we know from what we've already anticipated that if now this is going to be a one-stop race, you know, you're coming out of that red red flag on the tire you intend to finish the race on. And interestingly, that is when we really saw Mercedes take a gamble, I would argue, in sticking with the medium. They, I think Crofty was the one who pointed out, like the longest a medium has gone or the longest this this compound, it used to be a hard, had gone on that circuit was like three laps shorter than what Lewis was going to need to do to get to the end of the race. And it was kind of like, whoa, okay, that's a that's a bold take. They're going to have to really push this. And he are like, that's my only criticism so far this season of Lewis is like, Lewis always comes out of the race really positive about great work, guys, good thing. But in the moment, he's never... He's never, he's not very critical usually, but he's incredibly skeptical. He's like, I don't I think know if codes. this is going to work. It's codes. It's codes. Okay. It's right. codes. That is this, my conspiracy theory is Lewis Hamilton's always speaking the codes. Um, now at the beginning, I think he's week, just nervous. I think it was genuinely, <laughs> I don't know about this guys. Cause I'm going to have to do a lot of work here, but you know, so around lap 14, they brought up the, um, whatever thing they put on the screen that says the pit window for the medium tire is lap 17 to lap 34. Right. I immediately went, that is double the amount of lap 17. Like that's, that is a huge window for these tires. Yeah. Um, I didn't think, I didn't think about it twice. I just kept, I wrote down, I was like, that just seems very wide. Um, especially because most of these guys are probably on a used set of mediums from uh, whatever Q1 or Q2, which is what Hamilton was on yeah, when he, he went scrubbed, on the mediums yeah. after the red. Um, and they lasted, I think they lasted 34 laps. I think that was what uh, Hamilton made them go. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't come out hard at the beginning of the, the restart. Um, they didn't fire up as quickly as they, everybody thought they would on the medium is that the reason they went on the medium is because they the red flag restart standing start thank god thank you yeah i was thinking the same thing i was, I like, was oh so my god. concerned i was so concerned that because even Verstappen said he's like there's no reason for a standing start i was like what what not that's for the you most exciting, yeah that's the most exciting thing we basically got two races out of that yeah, yeah. um it was very anticlimactic uh second start though well, I have a feeling after the first one, there were some cooler heads going to the <laughs> second one. Everybody's like, don't pull a Perez. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, Leclerc was able to put a new um, wing on the front of his car. Yeah, that, that was a big piece of it. Yeah. So then obviously we have a pretty pedestrian race at the front. We knew kind of where we were all going to end up because those gaps just kept getting bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. And it was then it was basically like none of these cars fail and we we kind of know where we're standing. Obviously, actually, we skipped one piece, which was Lewis did have to overtake Leclerc. And I might be jumping the shark here, but for me, that was one of the best overtakes I've seen from Lewis Hamilton in a very long time because it took a little really? bit well, it just, it was the courage of going, I don't even care if I touch the grass here. I'm going for this end because if I don't, I'm going to be two more laps on these tires. I have to get these tires into clean air. And he just went for it down the inside on a straight with DRS. Sure. But like inches, centimeters, millimeters yeah. from grass in a situation where like at that speed, if you catch the wrong bit of that, like you're you're done. That's your day. Right. But he went for it. He committed to it, made the overtake. I thought it was very, I thought it was, it was like, the aggressive kind of driving I want out of Lewis Hamilton when he knows he's got the car to win to, to compete. He, he pulled out of there like like a deer jumped in front of him. Yeah. But that's the move almost that that's the speed it was at. It was like, oh boom, right. Boom. And then on the grass, maybe on the grass, it was very close, maybe half the tire. Definitely the at least in the like dusty, dirty part yeah. of the of the of the clean. sort of the yeah, yeah. Um that was that was great. And so back to what you just said because I was bang on um with your opinion there where 
as soon as they got through those like first four laps after the standing start, I was like, okay, this is the leaderboard. Like, this is what we're going to, this see. is how it'll finish. I don't think it's going to finish. And then Lewis passed the Claire and I was like, oh, okay. Something changed. And then the excitement happened because yep. the last half was very good. Yeah, and for sure. If, if Braden was here, he'd be able to tell us all about it. Absolutely. Cause Norris finally gave us something to look at and watch for. Yeah. And, and it was, it was, I mean, you, you know, I think you, you have been a great advocate for new fans of formula one to recognize that like, you cannot simply understand the quality of a race by looking at the top five, you have to look down the table and there are periods in a race where other battles, other dog fights become the story. Lando Norris did what we have seen George Russell do this year. We, he did what we used to see Checo Perez do. He yep. was in a position with a faster car at the back of the field and said, I'm going, I'm getting points. I'm making a thing of this. And he did. He was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and to, to even at that point, like to not watch the top five, can someone please tell the race, like the, the F1 director that yeah. puts this stuff on TV to like not cut away from Ricciardo when his Ricky best Ardell. chance to, they were fucking Bernie. Is that her name? Only Bernie, Bernie Collins. Collins. Only Ricky Bernie Ricciardo. And I will Cardo. never not call him Ricciardo ever again. It was so annoying. She's but that's so what, Irish. That's all it is. But I, it's okay. It's Ricciardo forever now. Ricciardo. Um, at the end of the race, he had one lap to overtake Russell. And Brundle and Crofty were like, okay, now is Ricardo Ricciardo's best chance will be the next straight with DRS to overtake Russell. Boom. They cut to Verstappen doing his last corner to pass the finish line. I was like, whoa, nobody cares about this. Like, go back to Ricciardo. He got to within like uh, like a thousandth of a second. I think they're probably side by side. I didn't see it. I haven't seen it still. Um, and then, but uh, he didn't end up passing Russell. I still don't know what happened. I'm furious about it. Okay, so we're not doing, uh, we're not on your other show where you like to take timeouts, but this would be where I take a timeout because I just want to take a little sidebar here and and start the official uh pit stop podcast fan club for bernie collins i i i have bought stock this year in in signs i've bought stock this year in who's the other one some some other driver can't oh uh yeah carlos signs i can't even (laughs) remember who the other guy was bought a lot of stock signs is i bought a lot of stock in signs i will buy a lot of (laughs) stock in bernie collins bernie collins is I would th- I would argue right now one of the most interesting and kind of confusing analysts in sports TV, and here's why: she is incredibly smart in terms of what her knowledge base is. This is a woman who previously was a strategic director at Aston Martin, so like yeah. her understanding of the sport, very few people in the booth are qualified to, to even have the same conversation she's having. There's a lot of former drivers. They know a lot about racing. They do not have the like technical understanding of what's going on that she does. So she's fantastic from that perspective. She's always good with the analysis mid-race. They always seem to find really interesting things for her to be able to dig into and talk about. I don't know because I know you watch this on PVR. I don't know if you watch the pre-race show that Sky Sports does, but you know that traditionally Martin Brundle walks down the grid and has incredibly yeah. uncomfortable and awkward interviews with a bunch of random people. He was doing like the analyst color color commentary job this week in the booth with Crofty. So he wasn't on the grid, but they had sent Danica Patrick, former American race car driver and Bernie Collins together as like a little comedy team onto the grid to have conversations. And the one that stood out for me was they had a conversation with the, with one of the technical directors at Mercedes talking about like, okay, so once the car's done, it's, it's formation lap and it's getting ready on the grid. What are you guys doing? And he sort of explained, you know, like we try to keep this part of the car cool with dry ice and all these things. She asked him about four or five questions and every single time she's like, okay, just one more question. Okay. Just one more question. And then she just kept going and you were watching someone completely nerd out about how excited she was that she'd been given this chance to just interview this guy and talk about what was going on with the car. And Danica Patrick is just standing there gobsmacked, like learning completely. You're watching a person who was like, wouldn't have known how to ask that question. Wouldn't have asked that question completely. Just the side, like the secondary side of it or whatever, but, but but like such good TV, such good TV. So anyway, Bernie Collins, I will, I will, uh, I will buy lots of stock in that. And, and sky sports just keep giving her good content. She's fantastic. I, completely agree anytime brundle and crafty throw to her i immediately like nope stop doing whatever else she's i'm doing like if, and i'm like i need to listen because she's actually going to give the like a complete outline of like the next 20 laps yeah it's she's like going to tell that. us like whatever they ask she's like i know the exact answer to what's about to happen and i hope for her sake that they don't 
like the, the, the doing TV doesn't sort of like spoil her in a way that like she kind of loses that magic because it's kind of like early Tony Romo. If you remember when Tony Romo yeah. first got to TV and everyone was like, what is this? He's got the magic. He can like anticipate and tell us what the play is. And then I think some producer was like, yeah, we're kind of getting sick of this shtick. Can you stop doing that? And then it went away and kind of now there's like Tony Romo, Romo like backlash. People are like should be fired. He's the worst. Here's the thing. He needs to just go back to what people loved about him in the first place, which was like, be that weird former quarterback who's just going to spoil the play for us yeah. because people love that shit. And I agree. Bernie Collins, just keep doing it. Don't let anybody in your ear get, get, get you off track. It's fantastic. All right. Timeout over. Let's get back to the race. Um, <laughs> further down the table, other storylines or other pieces that you wanted to dig into. Um, the Piastri Sonoda lap 49, yeah. the collision with those two. Um, the first time was very much Sonoda's Sonoda, Sonoda, saying it too much that it doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first tag, I guess, with and they hit twice within a lap. Yeah. First one was on Sonoda completely. Yeah. He turned into him. I don't know about the second one though. I think, I don't know. I, I, it was weird because they both, it almost looked like the wind pushed them into each other. Like it was I think, so kind yeah, of light. I, I still think it was on Sonoda on the outside to make a better decision. I think he got caught a little bit like Checo did, just being a bit too aggressive in that corner. It was it's tricky. That one is definitely a lot more like touch and go than the Checo one, but I still think that the onus has to be on the outside guy because the inside guy has less margin for error. So the guy yeah. on the outside has to kind of like you have to just make better decisions. And it's funny because either very close to just before or just after, and I can't recall now which one it was, they showed a replay of a Russell uh, and I think Zhao sort of tangle where it, they got very close to touching two. And then George sort of just pulled out at the last second and they acknowledged it's like, oh, those are two drivers who trust each other right now. Like they just they, they that understand was, where they are. That was Norris Botas, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Or, or maybe that's or, another one. No, I'm pretty sure the Russell, one I'm thinking of Russell. Maybe it was Russell. Russell, Russell Ricardo. No, Ricciardo. Um, Ricciardo. Yeah. No, it was anyway, somebody. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, that. but they, in contrast, when you look at the two of them, it's like that's one where you have two young drivers. Because I don't care how many years Sonoda's been in Formula One, he is yet to mature. He's still yeah. a child, and drives like it a lot of the time. And I just think that again, he just got caught in a bad situation and put his car. Like I, I think that one's still on him. I, if it was up to me, I'd be blaming him for that one. Well, especially because he's behind a car length or half a car length. Yeah. So his his front right is between Piastri's two tires. So he the only he can see the other yeah, car in front of him, true. whereas Piastri has to use his mirrors and he's not going to turn like lean forward and look. Yeah. Um so yeah, I like to it sucks because we know and I think we can say this that Piastri is a better driver than Sonata. So Do you think we can say that? So like, 100%. Hey, that's what I was buying has stock the benefit in. Of the I was buying Piastri stock. Piastri stock. Uh, so that's what the benefit of doubt goes to Piastri was in the right. And Sonoda, unfortunately, you're the worst driver um, out of the no. two. So you yeah, are going to get the blame for this. There's yeah. at least one. Because there's a worse one who well. also got in an accident. Yeah. And that, that might not have been his fault. I think uh, Botas was just like, we got to get this kid off of this track and just went into him. Yeah. But it was messy. why did he retire? Because it was just his tire. Like, well, we don't know that it was. We don't know that there was more damage. We don't know that. I think he just retired because they're just done with him this season. Probably. Hasn't he retired like that once before already? Or that was Sonoda the other the couple of races ago just drove off. I'm done. Yeah. Just quit. Just quit. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely it'll be interesting to see what happens with some of those other teams that have like even drivers that are under contract. There's just so many like there's so many probably better options for some of these teams. And I think they're probably still thinking a couple years ahead um, about how to like sort of make those, make it all fit. I know there was a, an interesting article about Logan Sargent, who's still without a contract with Williams, but the idea that the driver they want is still like a year or maybe a year or two away from enough super license points to actually be ready for them. And so that they're, they're kind of like Sargent might actually end up being safe because it's, easier to just keep him than put someone new in the car only to then put another new person in the car in 2025. And so he's kind of like, he might just be like the stop gap kind of like placeholder. Um, but when you look at like Sonoda, who I'm shocked got another deal and obviously stroll, well, the, I'm, I, I don't know the future for those guys. I don't know why so, that, why they would be in anybody's future plans. Going back to this race with Perez, 
<clears throat> excuse me, you could see the importance of having a driver from Mexico for that Grand Prix. So that kind of does sell a little bit about why they would want a Japanese driver on the grid. Maybe. Yeah, no? maybe you're right. No, you, you're I mean, right. just I like kind of why he's there. I don't disagree with you. I think if he weren't, if he was English, we wouldn't be having this conversation. He'd be gone already. You're right. Wow, there's like four, there's that's four Brits on there. No, but that's what I'm saying. Cause they don't need him the same way they need him for what his value add is from, from that perspective. That is true. That's a part yeah. of it. And just as we know, Mick Schumacher was in a similar place, right? It was like, Oh, there's a value to adding a German back to the grid. We want that market. Haas thought they could really like utilize him and his name didn't really work out for them, you know, but it wouldn't work out for stroll either because his dad, like the, we all know that his dad owns Aston Martin and that does is he? why he's on the grid, but does he, his dad, does he? Are you sure? What are you trying to say right now? There's a news article today that he may have already sold the team to the Saudi, to the Saudis. Really? It just hasn't come out publicly yet. Yeah. There's a rumor going around right now that apparently there is either a deal in place or a deal that will be announced at the end of the season that the Saudi Breaking monetary, news. the Saudi monetary fund, they've, they've definitely at least made an offer. And from the sounds of it, they either have or are close to closing that deal. So we could see a change of ownership from Aston Martin and the strolls leaving. Now I, Strolls um, plural. Yeah, definitely the strolls plural. Now, I don't know that 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 deal. I don't know exactly what the deal details are. Like maybe there's a part of it where like he sold a majority of ownership or something and retained enough to sort of still get to kind of play with it as his toy in the meantime, but I'm not sure. But from the from the reporting I'm hearing and from the like news stories that I, I then went down the rabbit hole on, it's been a deal they've been working on for like a year. Like he does not, he wow. was ready to get out. He's clearly not happy with how it has gone. I think that there was a big vision when he first took over it as Aston Martin and made it. That was the brand he attached to it, wanted it to be successful. Hasn't obviously come to fruition. And I think he's ready to cut bait and run, go back to selling it hasn't men, come to, men's clothing. It hasn't come to fruition because of a, his son. Yeah, no shit. Um, what I was going to say was that Lance Stroll doesn't get that respect for having, like you don't need a Canadian as a Canadian to watch no. F1. There's you, well, I mean, cool. as a Canadian, I stopped watching F1 the minute Latifi left. <laughs> I don't know any Canadians who are like I have yet to meet any, or Latifi fans. I have yet to meet a single Latifi fan. There's you know one who, guy I know who was yeah, four years ago. Max he's like Verstappen. Lance Stroll. No, he was this like one of a friend of mine. It's like Lance Stroll. Like he's Canadian. We have to watch him. I haven't heard that guy say a word in the last two years. Nice. The only Latifi fan I know in the world is Max Verstappen. He has a world championship thanks to Nicholas Latifi. Yeah, he does. Um, all right. Final thoughts on this race before we move on. We got a good question coming up, I know, but we've got uh, got a couple of minutes here if you want to tie any loose. Well, oh, should we throw some hardware in here? Yeah, we can do that. You want to start? You're ready to go right to hardware. I mean, I, I don't know. There's nothing else I got on the the last of this, really. It was Forever a good, it was a fun race. It was a good Forever race. The day. Anyway, let's talk about Lando Norris just going through everybody at the end. Like, let's give him some flowers here. Like, that was he was after like Flowers. 20 laps left. It was the the Norris show. Flowers. Lando Why don't we Norris. give him driver of the day then? He does. He's getting driver of the day. There you go. Sure. So what does he need flowers for? He's got well, I mean, we didn't we don't even talk about it though. Like that was crazy awesome to watch. Imagine if he qualified properly. You know what though? Like I said, I don't think it's as special as you're thinking it out to be. I think we've seen a few drivers do this already this season. Russell's done it once from the back of the grid. Uh, like this is what that's where his car should be in the top four. So if he starts 17th, he should be making his way back up to points. And yeah, a lot of drivers aren't able to do that. He is because he's a good driver. He's an idiot, but I will give him credit for being a good driver. I'm I like Lando Norris less and less as a person and more and more as a driver. The the more the season goes on. Really? They played they 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 had embedded cameras with them in Austin with with McLaren and they played a feature pre pre-race on that and it was the least endearing thing i've ever seen it literally every time they cut to lando norris one of two things he was saying something that made you be like is he being sarcastic or is he actually just a prick and then the second thing it made you realize is every time he interacted with any other human being they looked so uncomfortable <laughs> with the interaction like like they didn't know either whether he was being sarcastic or just a prick like it was very odd and very interesting and very illuminating but um again he's got that face too though that in the face, car like, 
Yeah, he's a bit of a pug. In the in the car, he has definitely showed why he has been as highly uh, touted as he has been in his young career. And it's the first time, I think, in a very long time, McLaren has given him a car worthy of his talents as a driver, not his personality. All right. Well, I took a turn. I didn't think we were going to do that with uh, Lando Norris when I brought him up. But you just are. opened Here the door. I walked through it. Still driver of the day, though. Yeah, he can be driver of the day. We should start <laughs> a new award, too, for like, you know, biggest prick of the day. Um, Lando Norris, driver of the day. Who's your not so driver of the day? I have a feeling I know where this is going. I mean, I don't want to give it to Perez. <laughs> Why you can't give it to anybody else? It was the dumbest thing I've ever seen anyone do. Literally, there are half a million people there for one guy. And what? Yeah, but how do? can you? He only drove like four hundred meters. Oh, exactly. Oh, you gave him more meters than I did. Four hundred. Oh, he had to meters. get off the track. Four hundred meters, and he literally just says, "I'm done." Out. Like horrible. Horrible. I know, but it's tough to give a guy the worst driver of the day when he didn't drive. What? He had the worst outing, did he not? It was horrible. Yeah. Okay, give me your other nominees. I uh, I mean, Alonso didn't have a great day. Alonso had a non-factor day, but it wasn't yeah. like he did anything specifically dumb. I I'm I am like... just going back right now through the archives. I think I thought about this the other day because I realized that we had given. Um, Perez not so driver of the day like two or three races in a row recently and then I wanted to go back over the season and see if I was right in my in my assumption that he might actually have won that award more like he may be the clubhouse leader with that award for the season and I'm looking right now and I feel like I'm seeing a lot of his name come up under not so driver of the day he and and also one or one or both of the Ferrari drivers (laughs) because they've had a lot of boneheaded moments too I feel like Stroll probably comes in third or third fourth considering after yeah yeah Perez one there two three yeah it'd be like his fourth or fifth of the season i mean it is perez like who i'm trying not i'm trying for it not to be the only other person could be sonoda in my mind but i don't even think that was like i I, it's got to be paris i would say it's paris all right fine the second driver of the day though because i do think that we we talked about about only in jokes ricciardo had a great day Ricciardo had a great weekend. Yeah, he had a very good weekend. You're right. Qualifying especially, he had a very good qualifying. Uh, definitely yeah. surprised and turned some heads. And as you say, like on a weekend when Perez completely annihilates his his personal reputation in the country of his birth with just an idiotic decision, Ricardo, who is, you know, the the anointed sort of successor there at Red Bull, everyone seems to think he will be the guy that they give Perez a seat to at some point certainly has a great outing uh, to, to make it look like something's happening. He'll be in that Red Bull car at some point next year. Probably. If not to start the season. Okay. Let's uh, jump to overtake of the race. I, I My nomination, I've already pointed out. We have another one? Yeah. Lewis over, over Leclerc on lap 40 was fantastic. Fantastic. I would say any of the Norris overtakes after the restart. Passing Ocon without running into Hul- Hulkenberg on 46 was great. Um, over Ricciardo on lap 61, over Russell lap 67. Like it was just fun watching him to come back. And he wasn't, he wasn't doing it like just in straights. Every corner he was taking somebody over. No one was safe. No one was safe. Let's talk about our radio caller race. I got nothing for this. Like I, there was nothing that stood out for me except for after the race. And I go back to Norris. I got, I apparently have a big crush on Norris today. Um, it was just, they, they said, Hey, great race. Like you, you made something out of nothing. And he just said, woulda, shoulda, coulda, sorry about yesterday. I'll correct that. And we'll be back on the podium. But I, I don't, I, I, what do you got? There wasn't a lot. No, you're right. there wasn't a lot of like big standout moments either. Um, I mean, I, I, I personally am a big fan of any time Yuki Sonoda does anything dumb because the radio call is completely unintelligible. Yeah. It's just like, it literally is like a drunken sailor. He's just the most vulgar human being you've ever met in your life when he when he's frustrated. And then they don't even actually, type you know what? what he says There's anymore. a second one though. There's a second one for from Yuki. When he got back out on the track, one of the guys started giving him some information on like where he was. And he's like, Don't even talk to me. I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me anymore. No more talking on the radio. I thought that was pretty funny. It's like, Yuki, you did that to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't it isn't that guy's fault. 
Yeah, Yuki's don't, days. Don't get remembered. angry. All right, those are our th- those are the hard. That's our hardware. That's those are the awards. Award season is over. Let's let's uh, we'll be back after this. Hey, football fans! The Ordinary Podcasting Network is very excited to welcome back for its second season, Running Down the Clock, presented by Puya Ricey and Tyler Walzak. These two football fans will sit down with you every Thursday of the NFL schedule to talk football. You can subscribe to Running Down the Clock anywhere you get your podcast. It's time for mail. Okay, Tyler, we have a um, a listener question. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a long-time listener first-time question kind of thing or like a long-time listener second or third question. I feel like we've answered a a couple questions. Yeah. yeah, I think you're probably right. So um, do you want to ask it or should I ask it this week? Uh, do you have it up in front of your face? Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I'm always prepared, Tyler. Unlike you, I take copious notes. <laughs> I know this is from our good listener, Ferriel. All right. Here's the question. When they show the lineup on race day, F1 TV plays the theme song. Uh you know that we we've all heard the famous Formula One theme song. Dun, 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 dun. That's right. That's the theme song. So the theme song is played, however, in the mariachi style when they are in Mexico, and this seems to be the only track on the entire circuit that does this. Wouldn't it be cool if we could hear the theme song in traditional music, uh, in a style of traditional music for every country? If you could pick two other countries to join in this tradition, which ones would they be? So she's right. They do do this awesome mariachi. It is very cool. Of it. Uh, it is I think very we cool. first heard it a couple of years ago, but they've certainly gone back to it now every single time. I thought about it myself when I heard it. I thought this is very cool. Do they do this differently anywhere else? Couldn't think of an example. What about you? Where would you like to hear a more traditional musical style? And the trick with it is that I would make the argument. There are a lot. There are, there are a lot of countries that definitely do not have as like clearly defined a cultural music identity as something like mariachi is in Mexico. Like it is so clearly a Mexican traditional music that it works. You know, I don't know if Canada would, would, would be able to do that. No, what, what's the Canadian suck. version? You know what I mean? Like it was the same. It, it, it wouldn't work. They have right? is, but it, it would work in like Japan. Okay. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, I think Brazil would have a good one. I just don't know how close it would be like to Bossa Nova. Right? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, right. I think I would I would want to see like the the Japanese Grand Prix. Um, I've got one. You want mine? Yeah. What's yours? Australia. I just want to hear it on the didgeridoo. See, that's the thing. Like, you got to think outside the box because you're right. They would do it on the didgeridoo, and it would sound like the theme song to like Survivor. You know what I mean? Like, wah, wah, yeah. wah, 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 wah. look, you don't even need. I could do it. Spain could do it on the Vuvuzela. Were they the ones that had the Vuvuzela? Or was that Brazil? No, that was South America, South Africa. <laughs> but you're not even. So that's close. the. I was actually was going to be my answer is that if any country would be great at that, it would be and like we need a race in Africa. Yeah, yeah. It is criminal that we do not have a race in Africa because it would be that would be so cool. Totally, just totally. To incorporate stuff like that with it as well. So what would you do in America? Would it just be like like a rock and roll version or like a country western I guess it would version? Country, country. It would probably be a country like you're doing the. Um, if you're doing the Austin race, the like the USGP, it would be a country, like a Western country song for sure. Or you could do like in Vegas, you could do like an Elvis version, like an Elvis impersonator version. Yes, I want to sound. I mean, I can play like this game. Little... I can play this game. <laughs> well, what about Italy? What would you do in Italy? Um, I mean, to be honest, it kind of is Italian. Like it's very, it's very like classical music yeah. right now as it's, as it's currently written. Like I'm looking um, through the schedule. Like there's not like Singapore, yeah. Japan stick out. Brazil would yeah. stick out. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like, as I said, the challenge is you have to have a country that has a clearly defined cultural musical form that yeah. you can kind of impersonate the theme song with. It's tricky. Because you know it, it like certain places go so well. It's the same thing with like when you have like a national anthem played on like just an instrument, which doesn't happen very often. But like I recall like Slash playing the Star Spangled Banner at like an NBA game or something or an All Star game or something. Did you see? By the way, just on a complete side note, did you see Flavor Flav's interpretation of the American national anthem this weekend? I don't don't even want to know if I know it exists. 
Yeah, no, you should look it up, and everyone listening should too, because it is worth the watch. It is really? a. This is a former rapper, and I say former because he's like, like 80. seventy years old. Yeah, yeah, singing, and if you can call what he's doing singing. The Star Spangled Banner. And I believe it's also about a four and a half minute take of this song, which is usually like a minute 45. It is enjoyable. Anyway, great question. Definitely a fun one to look at. And uh, and and we'll see because it's very popular. It's been talked about. I know previously that Mexico has done this really cool thing with this. And I wonder, again, as you say, if there aren't a couple other countries that could look at doing something unique like this. And uh, we'll do see it what with- happens. They should do it with everything, like the music, the like the visuals of like the intro, like all of it should be ingrained with the culture of where they are in the race. Yeah, no, I don't it disagree. Should be the same thing every single time. It should be incorporated incorporated with whatever country they're in. Totally. Totally. I agree. Who are you talking? Um, who we talk to about this? We keep having ideas and we have no one to tell them. Yeah, to. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea who we would talk to about that. But anyway, let's um let's jump forward here. We are very quickly approaching the end of our season. And just before I let you do the preview of where we're going next, uh, one, another one of our uh, much talked about and enjoyed circuits on the uh, calendar. I wanted to just quickly uh, mention that, as I said, it is, uh, we are approaching the end of the year. And as, as such, the pit stop podcast merch store on the ordinary podcasting networks website, ordinarypodcasts.com has a year-end sale going on. We have t-shirts and hats. Did you know this, Tyler? Did you know that I we sold merchandise? I know we, had we, sold merchandise? I know we no. have merchandise, but I did yeah, not yeah, know yeah. that we uh, have a sale going on. Yes, we do. So if you use code F1 year end at checkout, uh, you will receive 25% off either the Pit Stop t-shirt or the Pit Stop hat. Um, so nice. it's a, it makes great. a great Christmas present um, looking ahead. And uh, anyway, go check it out ordinarypodcasts.com head over to the store you can click on the pit stop uh, icon in the store that'll show you the merch that's there and as i say at checkout use uh, promo code f1 year end all right tyler take us to brazil brazilian grand prix november 5th you have one weekend to not do anything but be ready for the november 5th weekend uh it is a sprint weekend it is the last sprint weekend um i want to say hopefully ever but uh, unless they fix it, going back to what it used to be. Um, so we both agreed that this like this track specifically is great for the sprint. This track was meant for the sprint. And, had, like, and, and was probably the track where the first time they did the sprint here, it was the best showcased example of what it could be as a qualifying tool. It was fantastic. Yes. It was literally the turning point for Hamilton regaining his form to, and I'm using quotes, win, lose, that uh, championship. Um, the first Grand Prix was 1973. We have 71 laps again. That is not a repeat of uh, me just saying it from last weekend. There is 71 laps here, 15 turns, two DRS zones. The first is detected after turn one. Um, the DRS is on the straight after turn three. The second detection zone is after turn 13, which uh, DRS then starts in the last turn, the 15th turn, uh, starts just before that and continues for the um into the start finish straight. Um, so basically two DRS zones back to back. Um, we have in this track, something that I love banked turns. I love a good bank turns. Um, Brazil has some very good ones. It's basically a big oval. If it wasn't for the winding sector too. Um, last year, the podium was George Russell, uh, who won the race. He also won the sprint the day before followed by Lewis Hamilton in second, Carlos Sainz in third. Um, on the first lap, Hamilton and Verstappen actually hit each other in this race, but were able to continue. Um, Leclerc got spun into the wall, but was able to get back to the pits. He finished fourth, um, coming back from the 18th spot. We had three DNFs. Uh, Ricciardo spun Magnussen out, but as he tried to pass Magnussen while he was spinning, ran right into Magnussen. Um, so they were both out D- DNFs, uh, and then Norris wasn't feeling well to start this race last year. He did make it to lap 52 before his car lost power. So both of them were sick that day. Um, this is going to be a mix between two and three stops, um, throughout the entire grid last year was wild, but, uh, we did have a lot of, uh, uh safety cars. Um, last year, the Alfa Romeo was pretty strong on this track. So considering what they also did last, uh, this past Sunday, um, look for them to continue that. Here in Brazil, November 5th, 
sprint. So it starts qualifying Friday, Saturday, sprint events, Sunday, you get your Grand Prix. So I'm glad you brought up the sprint because I forgot to mention it earlier, but there was also some conversation, uh, obviously, because we, as we have said many times for ourselves on the show, the sprint is completely and utterly useless mm-hmm. currently. It's just, it's like, why bother? Um, yeah. But we're starting to get like just little snippets of complaints from some of the teams. One of them, which is interesting considering the success they've had this year is Red Bull. Who's finally come out and said, why are we doing this? Like what, what, what is the point of doing this? It just puts our drivers in jeopardy in their case, rightfully so when they're competing earlier in the year, when they were competing for like both championships, having your car out there for that extra thing. But then we've also seen how the sprints have led to like, not being able to get proper data on tires, not being able to properly prepare for a weekend. The situation with Mercedes and Ferrari probably would have been prevented had they had a different riding height, had they had more data on the track in Austin to make sure that they were you know, going to have, have issues with their um, floor. But yeah. it was interesting because Christian Horner said, and I actually have the quote here. He, he basically said, and I quote, for me, Park Ferme is a bit of a joke on these sprint weekends. You have one session to set your car up and then the engineers may as well go home. And he's not wrong. <laughs> no, he's not. It is. It, it doesn't, it doesn't justify. It doesn't do justice to what the whole weekend is about. Yeah. And there's no jeopardy in it. There's no, there's no value to it either. It's like, why are we bothering doing this? You're getting, you're giving out eight points. Ooh, whoop de do at yeah. this point. Like, sorry, but it's it not be, like it there's two something. cars. If there yeah. was two cars at the top and every sprint point mattered, yeah. then yes, we would have a different conversation. But right now there's so much gap between everybody that these eight points don't really matter. Yeah. So I've thought about it because we've had this conversation before. How would you fix it? And I've suggested a few, I don't know, pretty cockamamie ideas, but I have a new idea. And I want to, I just wanted to float it here before we ended the show. What if you ran a separate championship throughout the season, a smaller one for the sprint championship. So in addition, similar to what NASCAR does with like different, you win different stages of of a single race, right? And you get points Uh for different stages. You have a driver's championship for the season. You have a constructor's championship, and then you have an additional prize pool for the sprint championship, separate category, separate prizing. It's, Additionally, only on a couple of races. So it's like seven of them throughout the season, but those races, you know, the points from them count towards, uh, they don't count towards the traditional driver's championship. Cause I think that that's an overinflation too. It's completely unnecessary when you have a driver like max dominating, it just got him there a little sooner. But if you took those points away and put them somewhere else, you like did something to invert the grid, did something to make it a bit more competitive and then put those on a separate thing. You could have a third champion from a different category and you'd have sprint specialists. No, that sucks. I don't like that. Um, This is what needs to happen. In order to qualify, the sprint becomes part of qualifying again, like it did last year. Okay. But qualifying on Friday is everybody, every car gets the track to themselves. They do a formation lap. Then they do a standing start. You get one lap. Your qualifying time is where you start the sprint. And then you have to use the sprint to get to where you actually should be qualified for the race. That's like what should happen. That's fun. That's good. I like that. All right. Listen, uh, we appreciate everybody out there listening to us. We appreciate those who have submitted questions. If you have a suggestion to how we can fix the sprint for formula one, we will take your suggestion and Tyler and I will work very diligently over the next two weeks before the Brazilian grand prix to figure out who to submit it to along with all of our other suggestions. I think Tyler, the person who might be our savior is Bernie Collins. I think we need to figure out how to get a hold of her. She's going to fix all this for us. I 100% agree with that. All right. All right. And <laughs> two weeks' time, uh, as Tyler said, we have the Brazilian Grand Prix in Sao Paulo. Uh, it will, as, as he also said, involve a sprint. So qualifying goes November 3rd, sprint shootout and sprint November 4th, the Grand Prix on November 5th. We will be back a day or two after that uh, to recap that and set us up for the penultimate race of the season in Las Vegas. But until then, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please go subscribe. And again, check out that merch store, 25% off with the code F1 uh, year end. And also we have an email address. If you want to voice record a rant or rave about something and uh, maybe you can make it on air. There you go. What's that? What's that email? Yeah, no you don't idea. even know the email. You don't submit no questions. Idea. You just I answer. Submit, them. I answer questions. I'm not here to submit questions. I'm here to answer them. The the uh, email 
is pitstop at ordinarypodcasts.com. Thanks for listening. Pitstop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.